A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello, team. I'm Dom Harvey. Welcome to my podcast, Runners Only. What you're listening to here is the Summer Series. Now, I've got to be completely transparent with you. Summer Series is a fancy name. It's basically a bullshit name. What you're about to listen to is a recap episode. It has been a massive year since the podcast launched way back in February 2022. Since then, there's been a total of 50 full-length episodes of Runners Only with 50 incredible New Zealanders, some of them famous, some of them household names, some of them people you've never heard of that just have fascinating stories. And my guess is not many people have listened to all of them. In fact, maybe you're here for the very first time, and if you are, welcome. So what I've done is I've got some highlights of each of these guests who so generously gave up some of their time, and I've put them together sort of as like a highlight or recap episode. Now what I do, before I go into the snippet of each guest, I'll say who they were and what episode they were on. So if you like the sound of them and you haven't heard that interview, you can go back and find it at ease in your own time. All right, let's get into it. Summer series, part one. So we're starting here with the very, very, very first podcast guest ever. Episode one, Mitch James, the New Zealand singer-songwriter. Just wanna connect for everyone who loves running. Hey, runners only with Dom Harvey. Sitting here with Mitch James, who just listened to the theme. Yeah. Mitch James, by the way, singer-songwriter, one of New Zealand's finest. Um, what did you think of the theme song, mate? No, I was pleasantly surprised. I was pleasantly <laughs> surprised. I was actually expecting, because we talked about it was a fiver sort of job, and I was expecting hell on earth, but yeah, not bad for 80 bucks. Thanks very much. Could you do better? Absolutely, I could have, but it might cost you a little bit more than 80 bucks. <laughs> hey, so how are you? I'm good, man. I'm yeah. very good. I'm very good. And yeah, like I said off air, like... I saw you message me and I actually saw the podcast for the first time about an hour or two before and I was like, I'll hit you up. Like, I, I, I want to be on here and, and have a chat about running and some stuff that people usually probably wouldn't ask. So, yeah. Yeah, because you um, just recently um, ran the Auckland Marathon, your first, uh, yes. your debut marathon. Yeah. Um, how did you get on? Yeah, I, I did. I, I originally set the goal for four hours and um, – I kind of realized I was making pretty good progress and so set it for a 3.30 um, target and, yeah, ended up doing three hours, 28, 15. Right, for a a debut marathon, actually for any marathon, that's flying. That's a really good pace. That's sub five-minute K pace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, no, it was an experience. Like my mum had – mum and dad had both run marathons and um, they've both been sick, so it was sort of a way for me to to honour them, um, which was real cool. And mum came up for it. Um, Dad was a bit too crook, but – yeah, for them to be there, and um, I got the warning about the last hitting the wall and everything. Whatever, mum, <laughs> like real. yeah, that's real. Yeah, um, it is yeah, real. I must admit, when I invited you on the podcast, um, I didn't know that you had been running. I didn't know what your association with running was, but I just mm. remember you coming into to to see me at the edge in places. And I've mm. talked about you and your mum, your mum before, and her running. Yeah. So, so she was a runner growing up. Yeah, I think uh, I'm not sure when she discovered the fire for it, but she she would have been young and. Um, yeah, she's she's fun size. She's tiny, and so she's um, yeah, not much uh, weight to carry around. So she just sort of flew around the streets wherever she was for for years. I think she won the Invercargill Marathon and held the record there for a Shit. while. Um, but yeah, she was always sort of there or thereabouts for for um, New Zealand women. Yeah, 
And and um, you said their their health's not good at the moment. What's going on there? Uh, mum mum's doing okay at the moment, but she uh, she's been battling melanoma. Um, oh. Dad's got a bit of uh, prostate cancer, which has spread a little bit, so he's um, he's battling through. But yeah, like I said, it was a real cool way to to honour them. And then in the in the midst of it all, I uh, definitely caught the bug. Wow. Oh, so what's next? You're going to do another one? You want to get that time down, or are you just yeah. going to keep running for fitness? And well, so I, I, I've, I've finished. I think it was something like 149th, and um, I realised without my uh, toilet breaks, which we'll probably get into later on, <laughs> that I would have, I would have been something like 120th. And there's just something inside me that wants to finish in a top 100 of, of, of a marathon. So I think that's probably next. So the, the, the top 100 in the Auckland Marathon, did you work out what time you need to make top 100? Uh, yeah, I think it wasn't even too – I think there was an influx around like 3.20 that mm-hmm. came through. So yeah. I probably need, to, probably need to take, yeah, 10 or so minutes off it. But, um, yeah, I mean, I can't stop. I, I start – my chiropractor was like, you need to take a month off running – and I think it was four days after the marathon where I had the <laughs> started hitting the pavement again. But people might give you a look, but not necessarily. Yeah, say you know this, right? Yeah. You know, you, you. I'm sure it's probably the exact same as you when you go for a run. You get the old double take, and or like when you're walking down the street, you hear this with the whispers as you as you go. But um, and then when you walk away, yeah, 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 pretty much. Um, but there was there was one um. There was one lovely lady on the uh, a volunteer who was uh, who sort of blew my cover, <laughs> which was funny. I thought I had a pretty clean race going through, and then um, as we got through town, uh, this um, lovely lady is like, "Mitch James, Mitch James, oh go, Mitch James!" And then I start hearing the whole volunteer group go, "Oh, Mitch James, there you go." But um, yeah, no, I, they could have been more creative. The run was literally on a Sunday morning. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, well, literally, there you go, there you go. This next snippet comes from episode two. My friend Matt Finn, who in twenty twenty one ran six hundred and fifty four kilometers continuously. Each kilometer represented a New Zealander who lost their life to suicide. That's really and good. It's one of the things I want to do this mm. year is actually go and talk to someone who's a professional. Yeah. you know, and and. It's not that I necessarily need it right now, but unpacking those things set, mm. sets you up to be in a better position long term and, and just be a better person a lot of the time. Um, Actually, in, in, in a lot of ways, when when you don't feel like you need it, when you're not at that rock bottom, I feel like that might be the right right time to go and see a therapist. Exactly, yeah. You, you said something before that sort of resonated with me. You said um, uh, when you did that marathon in the UK with, without any training, it's the first time after that that you um, – started to speak nicely to yourself yeah like have a positive conversation yeah. i was um at the beginning of this year uh, 2022 i was sort of you know thinking about some goals and new year's resolutions call them what you want yeah. and what one of them was um I, I just want to be a kinder person i want to be nice to people and then there was um a situation i was out on a run and there was a, um, a group of people coming the other way and they recognized me and stopped me for a photo and then they, they said something like um you're you're exactly what we expected you to be like. You're you're really really nice and friendly. Yeah. And then I walked away, and it got me thinking about it more. And um, I thought I am a nice person. I am a kind person. It's just me that I'm. Hor- I like I yeah. say things to myself, the, the negative yeah. self talk, that I would never tolerate from another human being. Yeah. Well, uh, we there's that thing about um, imagine if we were as nice to ourselves as we were to other people. Like like you That's know good. Yeah, yeah, I haven't heard that, but that is. Um, and I mean the. That idea of, um, do you remember I sent you a message ages ago? I think I sent it as a voice message. And it was, I, I like the one thing that stands out with what you do as well as um, 
you make everyone feel really valued when you meet them. And like people at 654, when you came along, they said that to me about you is that idea that when you meet someone, you introduce yourself, you go out of your way to ask some questions and do that. And like that had a bit effect on me is, um, being really kind to other people. Right. And that, that, it has to feed back into your own life Mm. is it's really easy to go out during the day and put on this, even if it's genuine being really nice to other people. And then you get home and you go into yourself again Mm. and you start beating yourself up. Oh, I should have done this. I should have done this. And that inner critic, right. Just goes (laughs) off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's so that's just normal. And I think it's understanding that you shouldn't beat yourself up for beating yourself up. And that can be really tough as Mm. well as I shouldn't be thinking this. I shouldn't do that. And that sort of carried me through the last year, I think, because I've the one thing I've made progress on is I've stopped doing what I think I should do and started doing what I actually want to do deep down. Episode three, reality star from The Bachelorette, Lexi Brown. I really loved the people aspect of it. Although we didn't actually TV is very misleading. I didn't get to spend a lot of time with any of them. Actually, yeah, I wanted, to, I wanted to ask you about that because I'm guessing um, – so the guys have got each other. Yes. Um, so, so what do you got? Where are you staying? Yeah. Have you got any access to the internet or outside world? Yeah, so um, being like the one, as in I was the bachelorette, I had kind of full autonomy over my usual life except that I had this filming schedule, which was super intense. Um, none of the boys had their phones. Um, so I was saying when we were in Auckland, I was at the Novotel and for the first week I had Sarah with me, which was amazing. So she was in the room oh, next nice. to me. Yeah. So that was a great support. Um, and then once we left Auckland, we went to Queenstown, um, and no, was it the Novotel? No, I was in the Sofitel in Auckland and the Novotel in Queenstown. Um, but very lonely. So the people I'm closest to or with often is I had a story producer. So for people who don't know, the story producer kind of, monitors, looks after, builds, grows my story. So like my narrative. Um, and it's it's quite a working relationship because, <clears throat> yes, what happens in front of the camera is kind of what's happening and that's like the bulk of it. But there's all the shots where you talk to camera, right? And that's where you can comment on things and get your side across or um, – I don't know. My, I worked really well with my story producer. She was great. I so appreciate her. Love her. Shout out Hatfield. Um, and so I felt really fortunate to have her. We worked really well together and and I would push back as well. She'd sometimes ask me like the dumbest questions and I'd be like, I'm not answering that. And what like, what's an example of the dumbest question? Oh, something like that's too, too personal or cheesy. Nah, real yeah. cheesy stuff. So then you end up answering it and saying something that you would never normally say. Yeah. And they'll use that as a cut, you know, like, Oh, what's an example? Something just so dumb, like, um, oh, see, I can't even think of it off the top of my head. And I was just like, I'm not going to say any words surrounding what you've just said because that's weird and that's not me or how I think. Yeah. So sometimes she would ask me things and I'd be like, no. And then I'd say, what are you trying to get at? And she was so good. She'd be like, look, this has happened for you, but the audience haven't seen this or that yet. So you need to take them on that journey and explain. Or like, it would be weird if just blah, blah goes home tomorrow and you haven't even spoken about him. Mm. Like, you know how you're feeling, but you haven't talked about it yet. So I'd be like, hmm, this is a good point. So then I'd be like, look, I'm happy to say this. What do you think? And she'd be like, yep, we'll go with that. And so it was just... Like a compromise. Yes, yeah. compromise. Um, I suppose it's lucky that you've got that strength of character, though, because a lot yes. of a lot of people would be potentially more moldable or more go with the flow. And 100%. Then, yeah. And I think um, even, even I look back on the experience and think, oh, they got me there. Or like, oh, I should have pushed back there. But you don't know what you don't know. So I'm pleased that I did have like a certain level of that in me when I started. 
Um, so yeah, very spent a lot of time with my story producer. You know, we'd do a whole day shoot, finish a rose ceremony at like midnight, and still have to go into like a two hour really? director camera. So I'm getting to bed like middle of the night. Yeah. So um, really intense, wow. um, but that's okay. It was epic experience. Um, I also, oh god, I'd be so <laughs> ready. I'd be, uh, as, I'd be furious. It was five weeks filming, and I oh. had one day off, and which was between Auckland and Queenstown. Um, was, uh, by the way, sorry for so many questions about this, but I'm, um, no. I love shitty reality TV. <laughs> I'm, it's a guilty pleasure for all of us. Don't you worry. I'm mad about that stuff. So, um, the, the guy that finished second, what was it? Is it Todd. 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 Yeah. So. When you let him down right at the end, yeah. like he he was very very emotional, like yeah. burst into tears. It was a really sad moment. How like how many hours do you think you'd spent with him all up in the previous <sighs> x amount of weeks? Yeah, not a lot with anyone. Like you really don't know these people. I mean, sorry with with some of them, I I do think that how I feel about them now is because of what I learned about them on the show, and then with yeah. others outside of the show. Uh, over time, you're like, whoa, that was really like just put on. So um, time spent alone, or well, you're never alone because you're always with the camera crew, but maybe on a, like I think I think I only had it one single date with Todd and maybe one chat or one like half date. There's like full dates and half dates. Um, so you don't even know someone after that. No, you do not know people. And mm. I think this is what maybe people watching don't realise is – a, you do not spend time with these people. They all spend time with each other, like you said, in the mm, house. Like mm. they've got nothing to do. They get to know each other, bond, whatever. The camera crew does leave and they can all tell bedtime stories, which apparently there are some stories from there. Um, <laughs> but I didn't have that kind of opportunity. So, uh, yeah, A, everything is kind of like on screen and you get no off screen time. Literally, if you try to talk when they're not filming, they like separate you. <laughs> Or they'll stand between you, or they'll just be like, "Stop talking." Like so that. literally, every conversation you have with each of the guys is, is done on like on film. <clears throat> yeah. From episode four, Brad Smaler, wakeboarder turned quadriplegic. I don't know when 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 shit hits the fan in someone's life. I, I feel like there's two sorts of people: people that sort of like lean in, or people that sort of lean out. Most of your friends, they seem to have like leaned in. Totally. Yeah, and it, and it whittled out the ones that truly weren't. Yeah. Weren't yeah. Your friends. And, um, you know, but honestly, there, were, there weren't that many of them. Mainly those were just girls that were interested in me before right. but not afterwards. It's like, cool, all right. But they, <laughs> they, they were my friends, but they were only friends because yeah, they yeah. wanted me maybe or t- I don't know. Like, Actually, can, can we talk about that for, that for a second? And if, um, if you don't want to answer anything, that's cool. But um, so when, when it comes to, to girls now and, and sexual stuff, like do you have like erogenous zones anywhere or like parts, parts of the body that – yeah, I mean, how does that work? So obviously, you know, I don't have normal feeling, or you know, don't have much feeling at all below the level of injury. Mm. Um, so any physical contact around my neck, shoulders, um, ears, a little bit, but mainly like you know, a good head scratch or oh, something yeah. like, yeah, good, something like that, or even like literally like a Q-tip in the ear, like just oh, like getting, <laughs> getting an itch, just the right amount, getting an itch out of my oh man, like that is just so satisfying, but. Um, in terms of sex and stuff, like that's a big question that I think a lot of people want to know, but not everyone's, you know, um, going to ask. But you know, I'm I'm fully open about it all. Um, you know, with my level of injury, uh, I can still have sex. Um, I can't, not like mental or um, visual stimulus doesn't doesn't do anything. Um, it's only through physical touch that I can actually get it up and actually um, have sex. 
for a while there I had to take the old blue pill to kind of just keep it going. But um, but no, it didn't, you know, that, that pretty much phased that out. I didn't need that anymore. And uh, the one thing, though, is that it's basically I can start, but I can't finish. Right. Um, yet. And okay. It's one of those things. It's like, oh, well, same as uh, rehab. I just need to practice, I guess. <laughs> Problem is, I problem is I can't practice alone. So you know, and it's uh, it's been a bit of a dry spell lately. Yeah. But no, to be honest, it's um no, it's cool. And there there is the slightest amount of feeling still mm. down there. So like, if you know, if I am having sex, you know, as I said before, I've got nerve pains below my level of injury. Basically, everything I feel below the level of injury right. is is a negative sort of pain uh, or negative feeling. Um, whereas this, that's uh, it's maybe like two percent of what it used to feel mm. like before, but it's something a tiny little tingle but it's yeah. the only uh positive pleasurable feeling that i get below the level of injury so um you know it's just just something that uh i'm learning as well and with each different partner uh each different girlfriend that you know it's all different like um and it's so much needs to be done around communication because yeah i've been living with this injury for seven and a half years someone new comes into it. It's all new to them. Mm-hmm. And even though I, you know, it's all, I'm used to it all. Like I've got to realize that, that it's all so new and it's so different that, you know, the best thing is just being open and communicating about it all. And um, so, yeah, I've, um, yeah, I mean, you know, as I said, like it's, I had a, a good life before the injury and, and that sort of things. <laughs> Still having a good one afterwards. It's, it's by one the of those things, things, though. It's sort of like for a while there, it's like the the life I lived before my injury. Like I'm so glad that I've been able to live. Like you know, I travelled for ten years of back to back summers. Like I think I had twenty one summers back to back and partying. You know, obviously I was single a lot. Um, you know, I had, a, I had a great time and even wakeboarding and everything. But after my accident, that became you know it was a blessing to have had. But it also well, you didn't you, you didn't squander those years, was, so you got the no, memories exactly. But then it was like looking back on that, it's like now that's what I'm comparing life yeah. to. You know what I was talking about before, like yeah. if someone was a you know, accountant behind a desk and had the same mm. injury, it wouldn't be as yeah, it is hard. So it was in a way, it was almost like a blessing and a curse that I had that um, for a while there, and now I've gotten past that and. Yeah, and so, I mean, although it's, you know, it's certainly not what it used to be, um, I'm not interested in what it used to be, yeah. how things were. I don't want to have a one-night stand because it's awkward. Like, it takes 20 minutes for me for my caregiver to put me into bed. It's not really the most, like, erotic kind of turn-on, <laughs> like, tearing each other's clothes off type of moment. Um, so it's very different. And, you know, and there are some girls who maybe um, – not that confident or they may not, you know, and because you know, I'm paralyzed, I can't move. So you can picture it like I'm laying on the bed and she's got to be on top. Basically, if a girl's not confident and not able to do that, mm. like then it's, you know, it's, it's like, it's a, it's a, 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 it's a usual, lot to take on. Well, a usual sexual experience or anything like that is two people both, you know, touching, feeling, mm. you know, whatever. Yeah. Or like, so making it just a one-person side, like, I have to, for, before, if I wanted to pull someone in and kiss them, now I have to do that with my words. From episode five, Hayden Wild, New Zealand's best triathlete at the moment, Olympic medalist, Commonwealth Games medalist, and just a badass dude. Do I have my mask off? You can take it off if you want, on you. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, 
You right? Yep, good to go. Hayden Wild, Olympic bronze medalist. How do those words sound? Oh, oh it's pretty awesome. <laughs> it's pretty awesome, hey? Like, far out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's pretty cool. Coming back in uh, 2019, um, and then going back in 2021 and getting, um, getting a podium, so... Uh, yeah, no, pretty heavy, and uh, it's good to get a medal back in triathlon with uh, the men's. Um, a lot of inspiration from my coaches. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it was definitely for my, uh, yeah, it was for my family, and uh, yeah, for my dad as well. He passed away like 12 years ago, so he never got to see me race. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cheers for everyone back home as well. <laughs> So proud <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I'll tell you what, I, I love that so much every time I yeah, see it. Yeah, yeah I, I hardly even watch it, eh? But um, yeah, no, it was a pretty awesome moment for the team for sure. What do you mean for the team? Pretty awesome moment for you. You know, everyone thinks, I, I guess back home, you know, like thinks triathlon's such an individual sport, but I've got such a massive team back home. Like I just love coming home, um, you know, like... I don't think I'd be the athlete that I am today with the people back home in Tauranga and Whakatane. Um, you know, Craig Kirkwood, you know, he's pretty much, you know, helped me from ground zero and same with Liz. So, um, you know, I've got such an awesome team. And, yeah, I know the effort comes from the athlete, but it's the kind of the magic that happens in the background. And, um, yeah, like, it was a pretty awesome moment. And as I said, you know, my no dad, well, now it's past, you know, 13, 13 mm. years ago, so he never got to see me race. Um, so how old, were you, how old were, you, were you at the time? Yeah, so I was at, I was at primary. Um, so I was about, well, it would be probably about 10 years old. So you kind of know, knew what happened, but you kind of didn't know. What did happen? Um, so my dad was a fertilizer pilot and unfortunately had a bit of a mishap in the plane. And, um, yeah, there was a kind of, um, what do you call it, a um, an engine failure. And, um, unfortunately, just uh, the plane came down and that, was, uh, and that was that. So I was at a mate's house and mum told me had to come home and I thought it was a party. But, uh, you know, I for me personally, like, I can talk about it. Um, you know, it was, it was quite a while ago, so it's it's. For me, it's you know, it's unfortunately one of those things that that, that happened, and it's terrible. But it, you've got to get on with life, and you know he's watching you, and um, yeah, and he's do you, always. Do you feel that? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, like actually, the the time that I did the half marathon, I got a, the tattoo on my back um, on that same day. So that was kind of uh, for him. So yeah, got this oh, tattoo. What's the, ta- what's the tattoo? Yeah, so I got the t- this tattoo on my back. Um, so it's pretty much a pilot compass, um, and then it's got some wings on it. Um, and then the ropes for fishing, and then it's got north, south, east, west in it, and wherever I go, here we go, with his initials and whatnot in it. So, yeah, a lot of people kind of ask, oh, what's the tattoo about? So that, yeah, that's what's kind of what, what it's about. So, When you lose a parent at that age, is it one of those ones where, like, you look back now as a, as a young man and think, Shit, that was a that was a big thing. Can you sort of appreciate the magnitude of it oh, as a ten year old? Like I think as a ten year old, you kind of you you just you're just too young in a way. Mm. Uh, I think mostly my brothers would have felt because I got two older brothers, uh, a couple years older than me. So obviously my oldest brother had to be the man of the house. So for him, it would have been a you know obviously a, a, probably a, a way different experience. Um, you know, trying to be the man of the house and trying to look after us too. 
uh, younger kids. So I guess I was more of a, a mummy's boy in a way. Um, so I didn't really, I definitely had a massive connection with my dad, but my middle brother was kind of the, uh, had, was kind of daddy's boy in a way. So to have that, uh, I guess, a massive impact on, on my older two brothers, where, as I said, yeah, like as a, a real young kid, you didn't really understand the magnitude. Of- From episode six, Rachel Grunwell, wellness expert and marathon enthusiast. Yeah, so I wasn't into fitness at all. So when I started, it was 10 years ago, and like I said, I was a really unfit writer. And I started from scratch, and it was really, really hard. Uh, I would run around the block twice a week, 20 minutes, run-walk routine, like walk a power pole, run a power pole. Where did you get – is that just what felt comfortable, or where did you get that idea from? It was all I could manage. Right. <laughs> I was crawling around the block, Dom. I was the colour of a fire engine. I hated it. It was really hard. I was that unfit. Because mm. that's what I tell – if someone messages me saying, I want to start running, what should I do? I, I tell them just ease into it. Like, yeah, it's you know, a smarter start. Yeah, walk, walk and run. Like run for two minutes, walk for a minute. Or if that feels too hard, walk for a minute, run for a minute. Then when the running gets easier, run a little bit longer and walk a little bit less. Yeah, so I'm a qualified coach these days. and it's oh, yeah, Am I giving the right advice then? I'm, uh, no, I'm not totally. But. No, no, that is golden. That is right. golden advice. So the worst thing you can do is go too fast, too hard, too soon. That's what I say, especially especially the guys that, that approach me because I figure out like a lot of guys are probably like, well, you know, when I was 19, I could do a 10K and 45. <laughs> I'm and just going to go out yeah, and pull yeah, a hamstring. Yeah. <laughs> or wake up with um, crazy delayed onset muscle soreness the next morning yes. and then not run for a week. And, and then that's not fun. Yeah. You're too sore. Uh, so, yeah, less is more. So just a walk-run routine. It takes a while for your ligaments and muscles to get used to it and get used to the load. Um, so it, it, it was the smartest start, but I had no clue what I was doing at the time. Um, I was just wanting to move. And a magical thing happened. A couple of weeks into it, I realized I could run a little bit more than I could walk, and that felt like absolute success. Um, I was euphoric. I was so happy. I was so proud of myself. You know, I looked a mess. Yeah, that's but cool. <laughs> and then it oh, everyone's, felt. everyone's ugly when they run, right? <laughs> so ugly. <laughs> that's yeah. good. I love that at the, the finish line of a, an event, in particular like marathons and half marathons. Everyone's red in the face. Um, dudes <laughs> with bleeding nipples. It's an ugly sport. It's an ugly spot, but so rewarding. From episode seven, New Zealand media legend, Jeremy Wells. Yeah. So I was yeah. in Auckland until the end of um, year 11, and then there was a bit of marijuana that was discovered over a holiday <laughs> period, and next thing you know, I was being whisked away. So that was kind of a weird time in my life. I don't, like, weirdly enough, every now and then I look back on it and I think, God, that was weird, wasn't it? Were you, were you really into the marijuana, or was it like an act of rebellion, do you think, in hindsight? I don't think it was an act of rebellion. I, I just, I, I remember the first time I had it, and I thought, oh, this, I just laughed and laughed and laughed. <laughs> that was such a good time. And then you didn't, I felt I didn't have a hangover the next day, and and it actually opened my mind to a whole lot of ideas and things, and and. Music sounded a particular way, and I was into music, and 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 I thought, oh, this is this is quite interesting. This is I feel completely different. This is a different way of of this, this different consciousness. I, I and then then probably I became a little bit probably too focused on it. But I think for my parents, <laughs> who were very conservative, you know, they were they'd never they've never smoked marijuana. In fact, none of their friends had, and they'd never seen it. And so for them, it was like, oh my god, my child's going to be a hero and addict. This is, oh this is, yeah, my mum was, like, yeah, the whole gateway thing. Oh, oh, it's a gateway. Well, that was the that was the 
that was the thinking of the time. Yeah, yeah. And and so they they freaked out pretty much, and I can understand that. From they were they were ignorant. They didn't understand really what was going on. Yeah. And so they thought the best thing to do was to send me down to Wanganui, where there'd be no marijuana. <laughs> I mean, they thought it was a big city thing. <laughs> so, oh, bless them. I know, I know. That's, that's the thing. Oh, they were they were doing what they thought was the right thing. Yeah. And in the yeah. end, I'm 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 happy that they did what they did because look, everything worked out well in the end. And and I think you know, I'm a big believer that whatever decisions and whatever things you go through in your life, they lead you to the point that you're at. And if you take out some of those things and you look back and you say, well, I I regret this moment and I take this out. Mm-hmm. Well, you unless if you're not happy with where, if you're happy with where you are at this given time, then you can't take anything from your past out. Yeah, it's altered your entire life. Absolutely. And so, I, ultimately, that was good that they sent me away. But yeah. they discovered, will I do the same thing again? I think I'd have to. <laughs> <laughs> I have to. They'd hate. Hopefully, they don't hear this because that would uh, really upset them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so you haven't learned a lesson. You so, haven't learned a <laughs> lesson, and you're 45. So they, so they, they send you to um, Wanganui Collegiate, and then um, you, you, you managed to get yourself expelled from there for for drugs again. At this stage, they must have been just. Freaking out! Oh, it was terrible, and it was it was bad. It, it genuinely. What, what happened? Oh, it was gen- It was terrible. The whole thing is is, is embarrassing. And we don't bad. have to go there if you don't want. Oh no, I don't mind. No. I don't mind going there. It's just it's the past is the past, and it, it's I can't pretend that it didn't happen because it did happen. I, I'd actually been that whole year after smoking a bit of pot, probably in fifth form, uh, and and being kind of into it, but nothing crazy. I mean, we're talking sort of a bit of weekend use here and there. Sure. No, nothing unusual for the time. I was certainly just doing exactly what everybody else was doing around me. Mm. Uh, then going down to Wanganui, and, and I was at boarding school at that stage, so you couldn't smoke marijuana, and so I didn't. And I and I also kind of believed the line that maybe it wasn't good for me, and mm. and, and I think it probably wasn't. It's not great for your brain when you're younger. Not, yeah, developing brain, it's no good. No, and, and I, yeah. I, I think that's a fear thing a fair assumption and then so I didn't smoke it and and actually it was a good year for me I, I met lots of interesting people and I had a good time and um I all of a sudden I, I was doing my homework at night because you have to at, at boarding school and do prep and stuff like that and and I did quite well at school and I was like oh actually that's oh, this is unusual um because I hadn't been doing that well before then and uh and the end of the year came and um and we went away to, you had these different choices of places that you could go to, to, to do community service because in sixth form in those days, you remember your exams used to finish quite early and yeah. you just had nothing to do because it was internally assessed. So I knew my marks, everything was sussed, and then they want to keep you at school at Wanganui instead of sending you home. So they send you away and, and you had we had a choice. Well, I remember my choices being, there must have been more choices, but I, I remember mm-hmm. my choices being... Um, a rest home, like we could go and do work in a rest home for a week in Wanganui. And so we'd stay at, we'd stay at school and then go to a rest home every day and, and look after people. My experiences that at that point of rest homes were both uh, of my grandmother and also my great uncle. And I, I I just remember the smell. I was like, I don't like rest homes. Mm. The other choice was uh, Lake Alice. Oh yeah, the um yeah the mental hospital. Down That's there. right. Yeah, that was yeah. your uh, that was your other right. option of going there and doing community service look the stories of the guys from the year before who'd been to Lake Alice were not positive mm-hmm. there was stuff about knives and penises and all sorts of weird <laughs> things that were going on there and as it turns out there was a lot of very strange stuff going on there but yeah. anyway that's yeah. another story 
And the other option was the NSAD Drug Treatment Centre in Martin, which was a drug rehab centre. And with my history in that area, I thought, oh, this is actually, I'd be quite interested to meet some some people who are in this situation. And, uh, and this way as well, it was in Martin, you could stay in a motel, and there were no teachers with us. And I thought, oh, this is great. I get to go away from boarding school. We can, we can at night time when we go back from from doing the community service at the at the rehab center, we can do whatever we want. This is awesome. We can take some alcohol and drink. End of the year, and I thought, you know what? I could. We could even smoke a bit of pot. Why not? <laughs> so I organized through someone at school to get a cap of hash oil. Yeah. And took that away, and I think we'd been there for maybe three days. The opportunity hadn't really arisen to sort of have it at that stage. And then one day, I think it would have been the Wednesday, I was about to go home, and one of the patients, patients, they called themselves patients, and they they said to me, oh, I heard you've got some marijuana. And I was like, no, I don't have any marijuana. And then they said, oh, well, that's not what one of the other guys, one of your other friends has told me. And I was like, no, that I, I haven't read any. He goes, well, he told me that you've got it in your wallet. And I was like, <laughs> and I said, no, no, I didn't. I left it at home, blah, blah, blah. He goes, well, you've got your wallet? I was like, no, no, I haven't got it. And he goes, you're not lying to me, are you? And I was like, no, no, I'm not. He goes, if you find out you're lying, sort of was going down a line. Right. And he was trying to corner you. Well, he just... He really wanted that weed. He did want that weed. And he. I even remember him saying to me, you don't know what it's like. I've been here for six months. I haven't smoked weed for six months. It just it won't be anything. And I was like, oh. so in the end, after I was, I was saying, no, I don't want to give marijuana to a, you know, anybody or here. Someone that, in recovery. Yeah, that would yeah. be bad. <laughs> uh, he's like, he's like, I'm here for marijuana, man. I mean, it's not like it's addictive. It doesn't matter. I'm like, no, 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 I don't want to do that. And I did have some kind of, I did have morals, mm. and I knew it was wrong. And then ultimately, he kind of it was. It got reasonably threatening. And I was just like, okay, I don't want this problem anymore. And I threw it on the ground and I said, if you want to pick it up, pick it up. I don't want anything to do with it. I wish I didn't even bring it. Mm. And um, he did. He picked it up and then he had it. And, of course, at a rehab centre, when you are stoned, you really do stand out because there's a lot of sobriety. <laughs> so I went home knowing I'd done something that was not good, but I'm thinking, well, at uh. least I kind of feel like my conscience is slightly clear. I mean, I, I put it on the ground and it was like if I didn't want to give it to him. I certainly didn't come here with the intention of giving this to anybody. And then anyway, he had it. Then, then everybody sort of knew about it. And the next morning I came in and, man, just the disapproving looks because he clearly told everybody about what had gone <laughs> on and people were just shaking their heads. And then, and I realised immediately, I was like, oh, this is yeah, bad. Fucked this up. is bad. Yeah. I stood up and just one by one, just people just laid into me and I was in tears. It was this horrific experience. They just said, how dare you do yeah, this? Right, and right. fair enough. I mean, they were frustrated. Yeah. And and also they thought, who is this guy? And who was I doing that? It was just completely wrong. And I, I felt, you know, deep shame. And um, and I, I don't know if you, rem- you know, remember that feeling as a kid of standing up and when people just really, you get that feeling of shame and you feel thin like a piece of paper. Mm. You almost feel like you're not there. Yeah, just the ultimate vulnerability. Oh, it was terrible. Yeah. And then uh, in the end, the school deputy principal came and picked me up, drove me back. My parents flew down to try and like discuss with the headmaster how I sort of maybe might not get expelled. That didn't work. And then that was the end. I was expelled. They said, he must have said, thanks a lot, and uh, we'll see you later. And then my parents said, okay, we'll see you later as well. We, you, you knew that 
you came down here because of that, you've disappointed us. And then they just, they took off. I was just down there. I was stuck there. <laughs> the school bought me a train ticket to get back to Auckland, but I had nowhere to go. So I went back and stayed with a friend, Nick Craven, for, for probably a month and, and got a job at a, uh, at a dry cleaning right. outfit, Loving Care, Maskell Street. Mm. Do you feel like that was um, like a turning point in your life? I mean, a lot of it was your fault, but also a lot of it wasn't. Like, it, you know, that, it seems like you were bullied into into. Oh, what, no, it was all my did. fault because I took I took an illegal substance yeah, into yeah. a rehab centre. Okay, maybe I'm going too easy on you. No, that was, was 100% my fault, but mm. it was a 16-year-old, you know. I mean, a 16-year-old, you, you do do stupid things. You don't think yeah. things through. And um and I that was a stupid mistake. And then I remember going back on the train on the northern, and I I I remember specifically thinking, you know, I never thought I'd be expelled from school. I mean, I was not a bad, I was not a bad kid, you know. Mm. I, I I was a I was I obeyed the rules, and I tried to be respectful. I was polite. And then I thought, oh God, what do you do in this situation? I thought you meant, do you kill yourself? Is that what you meant to do? And and wow. I was on this train. I remember having a cigarette. I, was, I used to smoke Marlboro Reds in those days. And I had a cigarette <laughs> at the at the front of the train. And I thought, I think you meant to do that. And I thought, well, unfortunately, I'm I have I don't have enough guts that I could ever do that. Mm. But I was sure that was what you were meant to do. Mm. You know, and that would be the right thing that would put an end to any of the shame that you'd brought upon your family or any of that sort of stuff. As as you. I was going to say, as you get older, you realise that that's not the solution and that it's a storm that that passes. But one hundred percent. But at the time, it's the first terrible thing that's really happened that you've done in your life, and uh, and you don't know that it's going to pass. You don't you don't know that. Mm. Uh, that was. I mean, I'm so pleased that I didn't do that. I I could never do that anyway. But um, yeah, that was. A, I just remember. I got to say, that was probably the lowest point mm. in my life. From episode eight, Dave Latelli, otherwise known as the Brown Butterbean. Uh, you may have seen him on Dancing with the Stars this year. You know, I wasn't even living with my family anymore because, you know, I was afraid of. So I was afraid someone would come and try and do something to try and hit me, and I didn't want my family around. Mm. I, I suppose by, by anyone that says that, you can sort of use it as a, a tool to justify what you're doing. Yeah, it's exactly what it is. You're just justifying. Yeah, I'm doing all of this stuff, but it's for a good reason. Yeah, yeah. You know? Um, and it's just not, you know, and it all, it ended up, I, was, I got held up at gunpoint, you know, uh, and that's where that life led me. Right. Yeah. It was, it was Shit. Yeah. It was crazy. What happens when you're held up at gunpoint? Like, do you, I, I think I'd look like legit, um, Probably like piss myself or shit myself or something. Well, yeah. Well, it's just lucky I just gone toilet. So. <laughs> <laughs> but are, are you? I mean, you're you're a you're an imposing guy. Like, are you, are you in the face of a gun? Are you are you scared or were you? Of course, it's not like the movies. You know, where yeah. you you know, going guy, pull the trigger. I I literally I was on the toilet and I heard this. Um, oh, you legit yeah, were. Yeah, I was on oh. the toilet <laughs> and I heard um I heard all the scuffling going on out and yelling outside. I went, fuck. Got up. Opened the door and there was a gun right there, and I went fuck. It's just like, and it's like um, things were happening in slow motion. I was, just, you know, I obviously I didn't want to die, and so I'm just doing what they say. And the person I was with was trying to um, push back, and I just told them just don't, just leave it. So they were, um, you know, just searching our house. Mm. I think it was three of them, and then once they found what they wanted, they ran out, and I, I, I chased them. I chased them and. And um, I ended up being on the roof of their car and I could just hear them saying, shoot him, shoot him. And for me, that's like a sign, you know, uh, that I'm meant to be here doing what I'm doing now because how I'm not dead or in jail, it's uh, the only one reason is because it was God's plan 
And I'm not religious, but I do believe in God. And I, I believe that, um, you know, that, that's the reason I'm here doing what I'm doing now. Yeah. Because there's so many chances, uh, times in my life, like there was fights that I've been in where, you know, that's why I was never worried about boxing because, you know, there was... In terms of like being hurt yeah. or being beaten. Because there's fights that I've been in uh, when I've gone through these bad times where you didn't know if you were going to make it out. Mm. You know, it was some real heavy stuff um, where you thought, geez, you know, I could die. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. From episode nine, Brody Kane. Something else I wanted to ask you about. When you Google you, there's a 2017 Women's Day story about you being on Bumble <laughs> and being on Tinder, um, and you were saying you were single for 30 years. Oh, my God. How, how old are you now? What are you now? 30, 35. 35. Single for 35 years. Really? Yeah. Do you know what's hilarious? That's one of those classic things that happens where you're sitting doing – that was a woman, was it a Women's Day, did you say? Women's Day, I think, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So you're sitting there, the article's supposed <laughs> to be about the new breakfast show or something, right? And you're sitting there with the TVNZ publicist, and here we go. And then, like, literally, they ask something, and then the, the interview's just about to finish. You've just really behaved yourself and been like, this is great, and what a great opportunity, and, ah, oh, all the challenges. And at the end – Literally, I was like, yeah, nah, 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 no boyfriend on the scene. Bloody hell, been single for 30 years. That's the headline. Headline. That's the clickbait. Then that's the bit that this, that the Herald, and it's like, Brody Kane, quote, I've been single for 30 years. Well, of course I have, because for, I was a baby for two, an infant for, like, you know, yeah. you're like, oh, my God. And so, you yeah. You can deduct that, those years. Come yeah, on. Yeah, I know, I know. Give me, give me some reduction. Yeah. So, so 35 years, wait, have you never been in love? Everyone ready for the violin? I've never been in love. I've never been in love. Um, I did. I did quite like a fella once, um, like around uni. But I've never. I've. I've never had a proper boyfriend. I could actually say that I've never had a proper boyfriend. I don't know why. What's, what's your longest relationship? What do you reckon? Oh God! That, again, that like was, a few months. Like maybe three months. Yeah, yeah. yeah but that was. Ages ago, it right. was so long ago. Right, and it shouldn't. Even, it sh- it's not a big deal, and it shouldn't be a big deal. But, I mean, but I've, when I've, you're I've a... met gentlemen, yeah, but yeah, just yeah. for good times, not long times. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> got, a, got a bloody thesis in that, you know. Like, that's fine. That's, that's we've well taken care of that. They, you know, the twenties were a great decade. But yeah, um, yeah. there's um there's a. It's just, it's, I think it's just hard when you're a woman with your biological clock and things and the, you know, the fertility thing. Like, are, are you, have you frozen your eggs? Do you want to have kids one I day? Have you? They've thought about doing that. Um, it's very expensive. And it's, 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 it's dumb that you, it's even a consideration. Well, I think that um, some days I'm like, some days I'm like, I absolutely want children, and then other days I'm like, 
Oh, but I, I, I think I do. I'm, I'm pretty sure mm. I do. But then, if I was really honest, I think I, I still would like to have a child with someone I love. Mm. Do you know? Yeah. yeah. So, like, like what you had with your parents. Yeah, yeah. So I think that that still is something I'd like. Now, if there's a point further down the track that I go, oh, well, I would like to have a child now, I, I definitely think I would do that, as, irrespective of, of whether there was mm. a man on the scene. But I, I still think I like that the idea of, of creating a family with a, with a partner. Yeah. yeah, someone where there's a genuine connection. Yeah. yeah. And so... Do, what do you look for? Do you have a type? Would you say you've got a type? I mean, do you know what's quite funny is I think the longer you've been single, the, the higher. Like, people might think that you're standard strop. They don't. They only get... <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> yeah, a lot of people would make the joke, oh, joke uh, a lot of people would make the joke, oh, anything with a pulse. Yeah, no, but no, But I feel like no. you get more discerning. And, and people say to you, oh, gosh, you must be too picky. And I go, you... <laughs> I'm like, you're like... And do you know why? Because I'm like, you're damn right I am. Because I have seen that many, you know, people that get married or fall in love early... And then by the time like they're in their 30s or whatever, they hate each other or, you know, and it's like, well, you know, far out. Good luck to you. So I'm like, I'm not I'm not settling for some loser. And unfortunately, should, there's a lot you. of losers yeah. around. No disrespect to people that aren't losers, but there are a lot of losers around <laughs> that I, you know. And but so, do the losers realise they're losers? That's the thing. I don't know. Yeah, it's a I don't know. for another day. Yeah. And so I, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't. I just, I probably think, what would, what would my, what's my type on paper? Um, someone that could, uh, it, it can intellectually stimulate me, and they don't have to be a rocket scientist, but you want to be able to have really good conversa- yeah. conversations with them. Um, and then someone is funny, and that someone that is uh, caring and respectful. Mm. That, yeah, those, those things. Yeah, that doesn't seem like too much of a checklist. With a massive penis? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that was a joke. That was a joke. But if it is, all sizes are welcome here. <laughs> oh my god! See, this is like the woman's. Day, this is the woman's day thing. Um, this is the woman's day thing. Anyway. Oh, that's. I, yeah, I hope that person comes. You're not lonely though. Like you're. Nah, nah. It's, uh, the only time I'm lonely is if you're hungover on a Sunday and yeah, you're like, oh my god, all I cuddle. want is someone to cuddle me on the couch and feed and me. Bring me power. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So not really. Yeah. But I am gonna. I, I think that. Look, we can't even count the past two years with the pandemic. Like, no one's been able to, surely no one's been able to find someone that. So we write that off. But So we're now up in, we're up in Auckland. So this is the first five years. We're taking yeah, them yeah, off the yeah. last two. We're wiping those. We're wiping those. So, but I'm, hey, and so I've recently moved back up here and I'm, 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 I'm getting back into the dating scene. I'm, I'm, I'm into it. I'm into it. I'm, on the, I'm back on the yeah. things. And I'm just going to go at my own pace and see how we go. From episode 10, Laura Nagel. She holds the national titles for the 1,500, 3,000 metres and 5,000 metres. Basically, if she turns up to a park run somewhere in New Zealand, she will beat you. You're at Intermediate, you're playing badminton, you hate running. How do you, how, do you, how does it start? How do you get into running? Yeah. Why did you hate it, first of all? What was your beef with running? I, I just remember, like, we used to... I know. I think I ran an intermediate. I was always like really competitive with like you know you try to get the house points, and that was always really fun for me. I used to do that with my friends and everything. And I must. I think I qualified for like inter- intermediate school champs or something. And then they'd make you run a loop at lunchtime to train for that. And that was like 
like you'd go outside the school gate and then you'd be running on the concrete. <laughs> so like that in my head, I'm like, no, that's probably why I didn't like it. Um, and I think it just was, I don't know, just not fun. It wasn't like a sport where you're trying to get points. It just, yeah. It's kind of boring. Yeah. And a lot, yeah. a lot of kids don't like running. A lot of people, not even just kids don't like running. And I totally get that. <laughs> it's yeah. just not for them. I, I reckon um, I've got a theory about that. I reckon uh, like the, the school I went to, Palmas North Boys High, if you forgot your PE gear, as punishment, you just had to like run, run around the run laps <laughs> of the field in your uniform. So there's almost like a, and then you're forced to do the, the school cross country. So people just have like a hatred of running. Yeah. And I think, I think with that too, like, you'd always be in your PE gear, which weighed like 10 kgs. So that was <laughs> never fun. <laughs> so, so when did you discover you're real good? So you, you go to, you go to Taradale High School and yep. then you, you smash like the, the school 3000 meter record or something by yeah. like a minute. Yeah, so, so were, you, were I, you just naturally good? Uh, yes and no. Um, I like between intermediate and high school. I thought I was getting fat, um, so that was really good to think at the age of twelve. <laughs> Jeez, that is really unhealthy, are you? Yeah. Why, where did that come from? I think just it's probably the same story. Like you see things in magazines, or you hear like you know your friends, or like you know there's a certain girl at school. You're like, oh, I wish I looked like that because of all the boys. Blah 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 blah. Um, which is really stupid. Um, so yeah, I just ran a loop of my family orchard. Um, basically once a day during that summer between intermediate and high school. Uh, I didn't really think too much of it. Like I just used to go and do that. Um, me and my siblings and kind of friends and stuff, we were always really active. Like we'd be out in the orchard for hours yeah. on end doing stuff. So don't know why I thought I needed to do that. Um, <laughs> were, were, were you, and like in, in hindsight, were, were you a healthy weight or were you? Yeah, I was absolutely yeah, fine. Like yeah. I look at photos, I'm like, there was, Laura, there was nothing wrong with you like at yeah. all. So yeah, obviously just like something got in my head that that was the thing. From episode 11, New Zealand cricket legend, Jimmy Neesham. And the um, so the the twenty nineteen final. So um, that was I remember this. This is so funny. I remember being in, in Istanbul at the time with with my mate Andy, and we were we were watching it on on my iPhone, and then my battery died, and we were watching it on his, and then his, his partners. We even contemplated that morning like flying back to back to England for the for the game. It was like that exciting. What was it like being there? And did, did you have any idea like what would what what would happen? What the process would be if it was a draw at the end of the game? Did you were you aware of all that stuff? Yeah, yeah. Well, the funny thing that. No one knows, but I always bring up is that I'd actually won a, a super over on boundary countback before. And yeah, by the way, Steve, a lot of people who won't remember what we're talking about. Do you just want to explain the uh, yeah what happened at twenty nineteen? Uh, yes. So we we basically one day World Cup final um, ends up being a tie, um, which means both teams score the same number of runs. Uh, we go to a super over, which is kind of like the tiebreaker, like a penalty shootout, um, and that was tied, uh, and then it ended up being we lost, England won on countback which is basically who hit the most boundaries during the game, um, which is a completely farcical way to do it. And Stupid. makes no relevance to who's played better whatsoever, um, but was the rules. Um, so, yeah, I'd won a, a T20 uh, Otago Volts versus High Velt Lions in 2013. Um, exactly the same. Super over. I was bowling. Um, in fact, exactly the same. Run out last ball, you know, to, to win the game. Um, so I knew, we knew... Like we hadn't talked about it beforehand, but once it was a super over and once they'd got 16 or whatever it was, 15, um, we talked about it in the sheds going out that we needed to beat their score. We couldn't, it wasn't good enough to tie it. Um, so there was no, we knew that we needed to beat it um, and we and we couldn't. Um, got close, but not quite. Mm. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it, it's something you, I don't think you ever really accept a little bit. You know, I still sometimes 
just sit there and think about the super over and you know what different decisions I could have made during the super over. Is that right? It still plays through your mind. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. I'd How, say. So what was that? Three years coming out. Three years, like two and a half, three years. Yeah, July twenty nineteen. Yeah. So I had, yeah. I had um, Shane Cameron on the podcast, the boxer, and he told me. Do you remember his fight with David Tua, the fight of the century? Mm-hmm. He, he told me it, it took him about ten years to get over that. Yeah, ten years. Yeah. Well, I mean, do you think you, you'll be over this, this twenty nineteen game within ten years? Uh, I think I've got a chance. Yeah. I think. <laughs> Yeah, I think I'm at two now, well, two and a half, uh, and I can talk about it. Yeah. So, yeah, I think, yeah, surely seven seven more years can be over it, yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's one of those things. I think when you're in control, you know, when you, you know, something happens or, or a, you know, a, a someone plays a great innings against you or whatever, you can kind of accept it a little bit more. Like I can accept the, the T20 World Cup final loss in 2021. I can accept that. I've got no problem with it whatsoever because Mitch Marsh came out and batted well. That's part of sport. Guys play well. Sure. But when you, you have just such freakish bad luck, seemingly repeatedly, to almost conspire for you not to win the game, then that's probably a little bit harder to take. Mm. I think especially when you're involved – um, specifically, yourself are involved in the final throws of it. I yeah, it was yeah, you and Guppy right at the end, right, Martin yeah. Guptil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's sort of in cricket too, where it's just such a, a freak sport where you can make good decisions and have bad outcomes. You can make terrible decisions and have good outcomes. There's no mm. you know rhyme or reason to, at least in small sample sizes, why people are successful and some people aren't. Mm. Um, so yeah, you certainly play through, especially the last couple of balls. Um, and sort of think about different options. But I think, yeah, it's one of those things that takes a while to unpack. <laughs> yeah. From episode 12, Camille Buscombe, absolute badass track runner. She could run 5Ks in under 15 minutes, and her 10K time, 31 minutes, 13 seconds. The day seems to go quite quickly, but always have a little bit of a lie down um, sometime in the afternoon just to relax, unwind. I wouldn't sleep because I just can't sleep during the day. But just a bit of time out, um, Try not to really think about the race, but it's more just the time out. And then, um, yeah, you kind of have a shower, get ready, put your, like, race kit on, bit of makeup. I don't know, just kind of get ready. Yeah, you put the makeup on. Just a little ready bit. for the telly. No, not for that. I think you just – it's like just makes you just, feel good. Yeah, you kind of just – it's like if you – I don't know. Yeah, it's almost like that's your event, right? So you kind of – it's like an event, but it's not a event event. It's like a running event. But, yeah, I don't know. Usually I'd, like – yeah, I don't know. I don't usually wear a lot of makeup in general. Not that I would put heaps on, but yeah, yeah, I wouldn't ever race. I don't think without makeup, mm. really. Um, so the, the so the nerves you experience is that um, is, is that because you know you're going to be in a shitstorm of pain, <laughs> or, yeah, or I is it just expectations? Because yeah. ten ten thousand meters is probably my, my least favorite distance. If if I yeah. um, open up my app from my coach and it's got do a ten k time trial. <laughs> I dread it. It's horrible. Like it's twenty, <laughs> just twenty five laps of the track. Anyone that's trying their hardest, even if it takes you an hour to do ten k's, and that's you going your hardest. Yeah, you're, you're pushing yourself. So yeah. for me, like the first two or three hundred meters are okay, and then it starts to hurt, and then you're in pain for however long it takes you. It's a horrible <laughs> distance. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a. I think as well, you. I. Th- for me, you often feel quite tired the first couple of K, and that can be quite scary because you think, "How am I this tired already?" Um, and so it's a bit. And then also, I feel like I'm running really fast. So you think 
the first few laps might feel quite comfortable um, and they sometimes don't. And that can be make you feel a bit nervous. Um, but again, it's about just switching off and getting into a rhythm and just kind of enjoying I don't know, that just sounds weird, enjoying the pace, enjoying the race. But, yeah, yeah you have good days and some you get some bad days and 10K is a long way to not feel good on what's, a track. For you, what's the difference between a good day and a bad day? Like are you talking like a 30-second window or is it bigger than that? Maybe bigger. Yeah. Um, just because if you feel good, it's easier to run within yourself and feeling positive and – just, I don't know, you can just get into a rhythm. Whereas like a if flow state. Yeah, whereas if you're having a hard day, it's you're just battling. Um, some days you're really battling a long way. <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's not enjoyable. I've had a few days, a few 10Ks that haven't gone that well. Um, it's a long time out there and you're in front of, like, you're really, like, vul- not vulnerable but kind of vulnerable. Like, you're out there. It's not like a road race where you're kind of half hidden. You're really just on the track. And Oh, you are, and there's a real 25 laps. Yeah. If you're having a real bad day, there's a real there's chance a lot you'll be lapped. Yeah, there's a lot of laps out there. So. Have, you been, have you been lapped before? Yeah. So you've lapped definitely. plenty of people in your time? No, I've definitely been lapped, yeah. I've been lapped. Is it an embarrassing thing or? Yeah, it doesn't feel great. Um, <laughs> Sorry, yeah. a dumb question. <laughs> yeah. You're not like, oh, that feels great. Yeah. <laughs> well, look, for a, minute, you can pretend, for a yeah. minute that you can pretend you're willing. Yeah, you're like, no, but you know you're not. <laughs> From episode 13, legendary New Zealand running coach, the lifelong coach of uh, middle distance runner John Walker, Arch Jelly, who was 99 at the time of this interview and is now 100 and still alive and kicking. And you retired from coaching in 2000. So you would have been in your like, mid to late 70s then in 2000. Yeah. 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 Why, did you, why, why did you retire from coaching then? My uh, first wife, Rachel, died in 2000, and uh, so, you know, okay. uh, yeah. I think that was probably the reason, probably. Yeah. Um, yeah, you guys got married in 53? Uh, yes. 53, yeah. 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 Oh, that, yeah. I'm so sorry about that. And then, um, and then you, you remarried a couple of years later to the lovely Jean, who's just doing some washing at the moment. <laughs> um, I, I believe, so her husband died, died the same Yeah, the same her husband, David, uh, the four of us used to go away on uh, uh, trips to uh, bridge tournaments because I became a bit obsessive about bridge. <laughs> <laughs> is, is, that the, is that the sort of person you are? Like, whatever you do, you, you oh, get quite I obsessed. I like a real go at it. Yeah, right, right, yeah. good for you. At any rate, uh, uh, Rachel... Uh, uh, wasn't a bridge player, and David was a terrible bridge player, and uh, they used to, Gene uh, and I used to uh, play in the tournaments, and they used to fossick around second-hand shops and, all, uh, you know, art dealers and all this sort of stuff, and, uh, you know, they both died in, uh, within six months of each other in oh. 2000. Were you, were you sort of bonded together, do you oh, think, by know, your grief? Know, the four of us have known each other for a long time, yeah. over ten, yeah. a decade. Right. So, was it just like a natural sort of thing? It's like, well, you know, we should we should get married. Probably. Yeah. Jean might be able to describe it better. Where is she? Are you there, Jean? She's hiding. Do you want to come and tell the story about how you guys got together? Jean, you're needed. (laughs) Pull up, pull up a seat. We're just talking about how how you guys got together after your after your first marriages. So this man here, your, your second husband, Arch Jelly, 99 years old, doesn't strike me as being a, a particularly romantic sort of person. No, he's not. So, <laughs> he's definitely, definitely not. <laughs> so so how, how, did, how did he woo you? Obviously, you, you sort of both brought together by, by, by a bit of grief, I guess, after the death of your, your first partners. And then um, how did he win you over after that? 
Get in nice and close. Well, there was, there was not, not much choice, really, because uh, we, were, we were playing bridge together. That's all. We, were, we, didn't, we didn't do anything else together, did we? How, so how, how did he propose? How did that happen? Did he, he's like quite a sprightly thing. Did he get down well, on I one knee? Well, he, I was taking. I was in the car, taking him back home to his house. He's, he's, he's just bossing, bossing her into the microphone. I know. Isn't he? Yes, he's very bossy. And he was in the car, and he didn't get out. And I thought, why doesn't he move? Why doesn't he get out of the car? And so I said, "You're going to go?" He said. Well, he said, do you think I should move into Pine Song? <laughs> he moved in without, without, without saying he was going to get married. <laughs> right, so he just sort of invited himself in. Yes, yes, that's right. And um, how did you feel about it? I, I suppose you were both lonely at the time, so it must have been nice to have, some, have a, a it companion. Was nice, it was nice to have a companionship. We, we did, did lots of things together. We went travelling, we went to England, we went to Australia. So we did lots of things together after that. Yeah, and it's uh, how old are you? Can I ask? Is that I'm, a, I'm I'm ten years younger than Arch. Oh, younger woman, eh? Younger woman. So, did, so did you two? Um, when you used to go on bridge tournaments with your with your first partners, did did, did you guys ever sort of think? Did it ever cross your mind like, oh, he's a bit of all right, or oh, she's a bit of all right? No, I never thought that. You never thought romantically. <laughs> no. What about, what about you, Arch? Did you ever? No, there was no spark or anything like that R- at that stage. Right, right. <laughs> Oh, what a wonderful story. I'm so pleased you both found each other. That's great. Thanks for sharing that. I believe you got married and you, you, didn't, even, you didn't tell your kids or anything. No. No, it was, his, it was his 80th birthday and his, his daughter gave a little party. And during the party, he, he spoke and he said, oh, I have to tell you that Jean and I got married yesterday. <laughs> Is that how it happened? Anything you want to you chip in with? Well, uh, I was still living... Uh, in La Beta Avenue in Mount Albert, and uh, Jean and I decided to get married, and uh, we didn't... You mean you decided to get married? <laughs> well, you didn't uh, say no. <laughs> and uh, and we told, we told our family that we, we were getting married, but, but uh, we didn't say when. Right. So uh, we got married next door uh, at Evelyn Haynes's place, and... Uh, uh, Joe McManaman, who's a, a famous coach, and uh, uh, he uh, he came and uh, married us, and that was uh, a, f- a few days before my 80th birthday. Yeah, you, 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 I think you've, you've both been very lucky, haven't you? You've both you've both been uh, married twice, and you've, they've both been a very successful partnership. From episode 14, Cam Calcoon, a para athlete and motivational speaker. I had a deep desire. To f- fulfill my my creativity yeah. in my head, and then in the early days, I had family who didn't get in the way of it. So if I wanted to play football, they'd go out and buy my uniform. If right. I wanted to play cricket, they'd say, "Cam, every other person is training two days a week. If you want to play, you have to train four days a week." Right, because of the cerebral palsy, yeah. you just have to work that much harder. Yeah. Right. So that I can be as competitive as everyone else. Right. And then as we got older, the balls got bigger. <laughs> no. <laughs> but okay. But, no, wait, 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 keep it clean. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but, if, you know, the trigger got harder. Yeah, yeah. The, the boys got faster. Yeah. Everyone got stronger. I'm moving from Hawke's Bay to Auckland. So all the kids have grown up with are no longer there. And there was a stage when I was at, High school, first year of high school, and I looked out and 
I didn't see people who walked or taught like me. Mm. And I, I did wonder, you know, what would my life be like? What, what can I do? You know, being a teenager is hard That's anyway. That's so sad. And then you've had this. And so I didn't have a great year. And When was this? This was your third form year. This is third form. Year eight or whatever. Yeah. Third form. Jeremy Wells, actually, who I heard your interview the yeah, other day, yeah. he helped me in a big way. Did he? Yeah. How do you know Jeremy? Um, through Havoc. Right. Oh, Havoc, yeah. Through the show. Havoc and Newsboy right. back in the day. So How would, did Jeremy I help would, you? I would watch that show. It was the only thing that made me smile. It was the only thing that made me laugh. And my mum wrote a letter to Jeremy. I don't know what she wrote in that letter, but he wrote back. He wrote back. He wrote back a, a two-page letter, and in that letter, he had the words: "Difference is a good thing." Mm. People who count in this world look for those who are different, and and I still have that letter stuck up on my wall. I see it when I wake up. I see it when I go to sleep, and I look at Jeremy now, and I go, "Man, those are words to live by." So, how old is this letter? What is it, like 20 years old? Yeah. You've still got, does he know this? Have you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. When, when did you last see him and tell him? Uh, so I've been sharing that story quite a bit as yeah. a speaker. Yeah, right. Oh, so and it's got back to him. I thought it would have, mm. and it may well, but I remember doing one speech, and I was like, I need to reach out to him. And so I jumped on Facebook. <laughs> Who knows Jeremy Wells? And... Uh, a day later, we were meeting up at the Ponchmi Road Food Court and having a good chat. Wow, that's an incredible story. Isn't it amazing? just goes to show, like, if you take the time to do something like that, just what an impact it can have. Small words inspire big Yeah, answer. yeah. And that's why I do what I do as a speaker, because you just don't know where those words are going to go. From episode 15, Olympic legend Eric Murray. People ask me if you've ever taken, like, a, it was like a swan or a goose to a bar. Do you want to see the picture? Yeah, I have, because it's on my Instagram. <laughs> every, every, what was it, a swan or a goose? So it was... It was uh, <laughs> what were you up to? Lucerne, 2008. We were at the party. Oh, okay, so, the two, late, late so 2008, so this is when you're in yeah. the fours. So this, this is when we were in the fours. Right, so you, you weren't we'd proper had a really, We had actually had a really shit fucking race. We, we, I don't even think we are in the final. We are in the... Oh, we, I don't know if we got fifth or we are in the... Be fine. One or the other. No, we, were, we got fifth. And we were like, fuck, shit. Okay, we're going to have to go away and train pretty hard. And these Canadian guys that I got on really well with, this guy, and we were pretty drunk. It's a place called Mr. Pickwick's. Anyone that's been to Lucerne will know Mr. Pickwick's, right on the river. And it's just like, it's like, you know, it's an Irish bar, but it's like got uh, Australian, New Zealand, Ireland flag, you know, like that. Oh, like an basic, expat bar. Expat bar. Yeah, expat yeah. bar. And then one of the boys was like, oh, you want to go catch a swan? And I was like, that's a great <laughs> idea. This is a great idea. Oh, shit. Yeah, I was just showing Dom the photo. Oh, my God. So we, we basically jumped in Lake Lucerne, and he went around one side of a boat that was moored, and I went around the other side, and we grabbed the That, that swan. looks heavy, by the way. It looks heavy. They weigh probably about 25 to 30 kilograms. <laughs> and so we grabbed the swan. How do you grab a swan? Uh, so you, you, we uh, just, aren't they quite vicious? Yeah. So they So that thing was like biting us and – and stuff, and like we were, we weren't like I was still like we don't want to hurt it at the time. I was like let's not hurt, like make sure we're not hurting this thing. So we, we dragged each other out. We were in jeans at the time, you know, like out in butt and jeans on. 
So we had wet jeans, but we took our tops off to swim. Stupidly, like we were like, why didn't we take your leg off? But we swam in there, and so then we just walked it back down to the bar, and of course, the bar's overflowing onto the footpath, and so we just walked into the middle of this thing, and people unexpectedly, the swan, you know, like swan's head, were just poking in front of these like girls' face, and they were like squealing and screaming, and everyone was like, holy shit, these guys have fucking caught a swan, and of course, it's right at the start of mobile phone technology cameras, so most people had a digital camera. So they're just like, like you know, whatever, and um, and and of course, so we took it, but then of course the bar lady came out. And she goes, and in her Irish accent, like fucking put that down, you know, like, and, and she's like, put it back in the water, I'll call the police, you know. And so we so we put it back. So yeah, but it was just like at the spur of the moment thing, and it was just like, wow. <laughs> and so it's one of the very, I think, first pictures on my Instagram at the time, but yeah. <laughs> From episode 17, Barry McGee, the 1960 Olympic marathon bronze medalist. It was hot. Uh, now, the week before the marathon was the 150-mile cycle race. Now, one rider dropped dead during the race, probably with the heat. Uh, the suspicions around the village was that he had probably also on drugs. Right, were they were performance enhancing drugs a thing even back then in oh, the nineteen sixty? Really? Absolutely. Yes, oh. they were. Yeah. I mean some of those Russian women and that they had more hair than you have. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that yes, male steroids and um, yes. I don't know if EBO was around in yeah. those days, but yeah, oh no. This this was part of the part, yeah. Drugs drugs were ripe. And um in Eastern Europe particularly. Yeah, I have never seen a drug in my lifetime. I, I competed for 54 years as a runner. I've never seen one, mm. but they were everywhere. But because of that cyclist, all the marathon managers or the athletic managers of probably 50 countries in the world uh, went and protested and said, we will have a runner die if you're going to race them at 2 o'clock in the afternoon in, in Rome, mm. in the heat, heat of the day, yeah, heat, yeah, two o'clock. It was it was twenty eight degrees and um, hot, hot. So they shifted the time till five o'clock. Now at five o'clock, and at that time of the year, uh, September in in Italy, it got dark about six thirty. <laughs> so um, we, we knew we we're going to be running half the race in the dark, and I can tell you, it's very hard to see Africans in the dark. <laughs> yeah, that's an honest <laughs> statement. But um, but anyway, they they convinced the officials, the Olympic officials. Yes, no, we will change it. We'll change it to um, five o'clock and make it cooler because it it was more like eighteen degrees only, or twenty degrees, or twenty two degrees often at that time of the day, or whatever yeah. it might be. And um, yeah, and so but every day we had about thirty days in Rome. And 29 of them uh, with 28 degrees. The interesting thing was the day of the marathon, it was 23. Oh, <laughs> what are the chances? <laughs> so what are the chances there? Right, so, so, the, so the run starts um, starts 5 p.m. What, um, it gets dark at 6.30. So yep. how, how long did it take you? What was your time? Two... Two hours seventeen. Two hours yeah, seventeen. I, so I, the I, last 45 minutes are in, uh, uh, like, pitch dark? Pitch dark. Or? Pitch, dark. Right, right. pitch dark. And the inter- and. The last 10K is down called Via Appia, which in Kiwi language is the Appian Way. Appian, and that goes right down in, you know, from way out, 10K out, um, down into, into uh, the city of Rome. 
And um, it's very, very spectacular because mm. you ran past the Colosseum, you ran, you know, oh, and, and all the famous things that we found, all yeah, the famous parts yeah. of Rome. It's a very historical city. Um, but yeah, but, but the thing was, there's no street lights in the Appian Way. <laughs> None whatsoever. And every about every, every, every kilometre, there would be 100 metres of cobblestones. Cobblestones are terrible to run on. Mm. They're raised about, they go curves about three inches high, or whatever, you know, five, six centimetres high. And, uh, with, but the thing is, what they had done to try and counter this, um, they had Roman soldiers posted for 10K about every 100 metres down on each side of the road with a flaming torch. So it was quite spectacular. Right, so that's not going to give you much um, light <laughs> to see where you're going, but you, you can just see, it, you it, know, the route you're taking. Virtually, it was virtually no, very little yeah. light. Yeah. Very, yeah, yeah, it was like running you know, just a bit nearly pitch dark, but it was dark. You could just see the road in front of you. But the thing is, on the cobblestones, you couldn't see the cobblestones on the razor. Um, I think I prayed all the way every time I hit it. <laughs> you know? Did you have to? Did you have to like um like change your gait or anything to? Yeah. Oh yes. Oh yes. Yeah. yeah. No. I, I shortened. I, I halved the stride every time mm. I hit the cobblestones. But I was chasing um, Radi and and Bikila, Bibi Bikila, the um, who ended up as gold and silver medalists. Was he the barefoot runner? Yeah, the yeah. winner was a yeah. barefoot runner. So it was a historic, historical marathon in, in the fact that um, was the first African to ever win a gold medal in um, athletics um, and the first athlete to ever win a marathon, uh, win a race in bare feet in, in Olympics. Yeah, that can't have been nice on the cobbles. And, and uh, Yeah, that Rome Olympic marathon is rated about the second or third greatest marathon of the century. Mm. And um, so um, I feel encased in history, really. So, what place were you in when it got when it got dark? When when you finally lost light? Um, well, well, I started I started the race very conservatively. Yeah. Um, <coughs> generally speaking, you know, a distance runner in his early days, he goes out and the gun goes and he goes. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, but along the way, you learn some very hard lessons. Um, it's not how you start that counts, it's how you finish. <laughs> so I started very conservatively. Um, I don't know, there were 60 or 70 in the race, and it was probably at halfway, I was probably about 20th. Right. Um, wow. About 20th. And that, but the thing was, I was moving through, mm-hmm. you know, and, and then I was up to about 10th. And then by the time we hit <coughs> um, 30K, 30k mark. Um, so it was still light then? Or was, um, it was dark no, then? No, it was dark okay. by then at yeah. the 30k mark. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the Russian champion who had run the fastest marathon in the world, Popov, um, yeah, he, he caught he caught yeah, Julian and Puckett and McGee up at about the, I don't know, about the 15k or oh, 12k mark, perhaps the 12k mark. I said, to, I said to Puckett and Julian, I said, we've got to go with this bunch. And, and um, I didn't have a clue who they were, but there was about six guys that just went straight past us. Mm. So we jumped on the back of them, and that made about a bunch of about nine. 
But that nine became eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two. And by the time we got to about 30, 32K, there was only only one guy with me, and I looked at his scene, and I could see he was a Russian, <laughs> and I found out after his pop-off, he was one of the race favourites, yeah. and uh, fastest marathon runner in the world or something that year. And, um, yeah, and it was just him and I. And then there was this drink station came up just as we turned into the Appian Way, and <clears throat> he veered to grab a drink off the drink table because there was water and there was Coke or something. You know, there were <laughs> several drinks that you could have a selection of. and um, Yeah, so he, he veered and I sprinted. <laughs> 10K to go. <laughs> I took off and um, thought, I, don't know, I just did it. You are feeling yes, good? Oh, yes, still, I was feeling yeah, good. Yeah. What I'd done um, up to that stage, I was in control because I call you know, the secret of success really is control, control, control. Yeah. If you lose it too early or too fast too early, uh, you blow up, and, and once you're blowing up, you're gone, yeah. and it's history. So, um, now, so I started my run at ten at ten k to go, and that was so that was the best thing I could have done. What I didn't know was what place I was in. See, they, every five k, uh, all the officials were yeah. out there calling times in Italian. <laughs> you know, we had no such thing as a digital watch in, yeah, of course, in those yeah, no days. GPS. I looked at my watch, you know, and I could see it was twenty past six or something, <laughs> because there's no no other watches in the world in those days. But I didn't know where I was, um, and so I just I just put my head down and I went for it. Every now and again, I'd see flash bulbs going up ahead. I thought that's a good sign because that could be the leaders that mm-hmm. were up there. Yeah, yeah, and so that's that's the, and that's the way, and I just kept going and kept going, and um, managed to get up there. But then, so, you, so, you, so when you finished, you 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 weren't aware that you'd won bronze, but you must have thought you were there or thereabouts. Yeah, I had no idea yeah. what place I was in, because you know, the thing is, because it was dark, they banned all spectators from the course. So there was no one you could yell out to along the course. And all these officials, so they called your times every 5K in, in Italian. That didn't help. <laughs> and so you couldn't talk to them and say, what, where I, what place am I in, you know, as you went past those uh, the drink stations. So, no, I, I never, never had a clue. Um, so I had no idea when I crossed the finishing line where I was. And all of a sudden, you know, there was a big about two-metre guy um, beside me um, who jumped over a barrier, raced out, and he must have been, I don't know if he's a hockey player or a New Zealand thrower, and he slapped me on the back. He said, well done, Barry, well done. You've done great. That's good. That's good. I said, where am I? <laughs> and he looked at me, if I was a bit stupid, and said, Barry, you finished. You finished. It's okay. Like, oh, he thought yeah. you were delirious. Or, he thought I was a bit delirious. Right, right. Where am I? You know, you're at the finish of the Olympic marathon, Barry, was his thinking. My thinking was, where am I? Well, I'm to the place. Yeah. yeah. And the, <laughs> the silence of about 20 seconds, he looked at me, put his, he gave me a hug, and Barry, you've just got the bronze. Congratulations. From episode eighteen, my good friends Kerry Souter and Ali Pottinger from Squad Run. I thought this might be a might be. A, I don't know if this is a dumb question or a sensitive question, but um, when you dream, are you are you still able? Great question. Is it? This is a great question. So I, I still dream that I can walk, but I know that I'm you know I know that I'm not a walker. 
So in the dream, I, you know, like I'll get up and I'll walk around the place and it was like, oh, it's so great you're walking. And I'm like, yeah, I really shouldn't be because I'm disabled. Um, so I still dream in walking, which is kind of weird, but I know it's, uh, I know I shouldn't. Yeah, that was quite a weird thing for me. Oh, God, you're going to make me cry. Um, was like going, when does it change? Because like in my dreams, he was moving. And then I think maybe a couple of weeks then I had a dream that he was like lying in a bed and he couldn't go into a room because of the COVID risks. So he was outside on this bed with a mask and I was like oh this is maybe this is the start of me accepting this situation and now I think he is I don't know what he is in my dreams now I think it is you know his disability is there um, but it did like there was some quite confronting dreams that you'd wake up from and just be like oh, brutal oh you're both such an amazing couple you really are I'm so pleased you've got each other yeah god you got me crying <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's a shit thing you're going through, but, you know, if anyone can handle it, I reckon you can, mate. Yeah, that's, that's, a lot of people have said that. Mm. It's almost like it's good that it happened to me, right? It is. I couldn't have handled it, I don't think. <laughs> yeah. You just would. You say, yeah. you say you couldn't handle it, but I suppose if you're in that situation, it's like, well, there's two options, eh? Just handle it or take the other way out. Yeah. I have to, a lot to come to terms with. I've lost decades off my life, you know, like I won't. I'm 44 now, and I'm going to have a baby. How old will that baby be when I'm not? I don't know what to say. <laughs> I suppose you just make as much of an impact while you while you can, and um, and I know you, I know you will. But you can be an incredible dad. Yeah, hey. like however many years there are. It's, it's, you, you know, I mean, and, nobody uh, knows that too. Like nobody knows how many years they have on this planet. Yeah. And it's just going right, you know, like nothing is guaranteed. We've found that out the hard way is that, you know, you think you have your life planned out and it's it's not. You can get thrown a massive curveball. So it's just going, you know, that old cliche of taking each day as it comes and making yeah. the most of it and, and bringing that love and laughter to your days and that focus and purpose and passion as well. Yeah. That's what we've got in leaps and bounds and that's what we – have filled our days with and will continue to fill our days with. Wow, you're still here. Good for you. Thank you very much for listening and making it all the way through this summer series. Sort of like a recap episode of the guests that we've had on the podcast this year. If you like what you hear, please um, give the show a rating if your podcast platform allows or write a review. Or if you don't do so already, please subscribe to the podcast or on Spotify, click that little bell button. All right. Thank you so much. Appreciate you. Appreciate you being here. Hope you're having a fabulous summer holiday. And we'll see you next week on Runners Only with Dom Harvey. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.